Welcome back, our listeners. Uh, we're here with a special bonus episode of the End of Zeta Film Season 3. Bonus, Cliff bonus. Notes. Bonus, bonus. We already bonus. had a bonus episode. We had one already, didn't we? So this is another yeah. one. All the, the bonuses. bonuses. The bonuses. Yeah. Uh, bonus bombs. That's us. Because I managed to get a hold of Cliff Curtis and we and I interviewed him. This is uh, this is our episode uh, where we interview Cliff Curtis. We didn't think it was going to happen. The last episode we talked about how we weren't going to do it. <laughs> now we did it. It's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, I managed to track him down. Uh, the man himself, the myth himself, the legend himself. Mr. <laughs> Cliff Curtis. It's the Cliff Curtis, yeah. So um, I interviewed him uh, a little while ago. Uh, unfortunately, it was just me. We couldn't quite make it work with Andy in the room. Uh, no, it being the sort of uh, the time that worked for Cliff, it was unfortunately the middle of the night, uh, my time on the other side of the world. So uh, couldn't couldn't quite <laughs> couldn't quite do quite. that. And we have to we have to be beholden to Cliff's schedule because he's a very busy he's a- busy, busy, busy man. He's a very busy man. He's a very busy man. Um, yeah, I knew, I didn't think this was going to happen because we, we we reached out to Cliff's management back in January of this year. It is now September of this year, uh, which is a, quite a while to wait to finally have it all roll into one. I just thought, but I mean, I was, you got to say it was like like the cheese ad say, as well worth the wait. <laughs> good. I think it's good things take time. Good um, things, yeah, sure, that one, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, I'd like to thank a few people for making this happen. So I reached out to Gabriella Larkin-Bruce at the Robert Roos Agency back in January. She put me on to Cliff's American Management, and then I also used my connections at the Film Commission, Jasmine McSweeney and Lisa McLeod of Whiting. Uh, and all, this, all those things helped me get in touch with the Elise Francis, who's Cliff's PA, and she has been in regular email contact with me over the last few weeks trying, I imagine, to make it happen around, around Cliff's very busy schedule, and she managed to give me a window, which is fantastic. And yeah, uh, awesome. yeah, Cliff was really accommodating and answered a few questions. We, I only had a small window with him, so there's only a few questions, but hopefully uh, hopefully it sounds good, and I wasn't too much of a fanboy. Well, I mean, a little bit of a fanboy. We've just had a whole season speaking about <laughs> nothing else. Mm, it's a little bit embarrassing, yes. yes. Mm. Yeah, um, <laughs> I wonder if he's listened to any. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of that, I haven't actually had a chance to listen to this uh, conversation myself yet. So I'm sure I'm as excited as you all are. So why don't Rajiv and I shut the hell up and let's get to it. Go, go, go. This is the N to Z of film with Andy and Rajiv. Good morning. Thank you for very much for agreeing to this. Uh, yeah, no worries. Firstly, uh, breaking in, how did you get into acting? And uh, was it something you've always wanted to do? Uh, oh, the arts are uh, never seen as a viable career uh, choice. So I know I've faced a lot of adversity in that uh, as a filmmaker myself. Was that was that something you faced with your family and friends? Uh, adversity. And that was that was three questions. So one is like, how did I get into the business? Yeah, and was it something you always it wanted was, to do? Uh, it was not something I always wanted to do. It sort of was a hobby when I was about seventeen, doing amateur stuff. Uh, it was from rock and roll dancing, and then from rock and roll dancing, it took me into sort of amateur theatre at seventeen, down in Parparamu, Kapiti Plays, and all that. And then um, did a few musicals, and it was just really a fun distraction because I was a manual labourer from the age of fourteen. And then that fun turned into people sort of keeping. Oh, it's really. I think it was just people encouraging me, saying, "Oh, gee, you're good. You should try doing this. You should try doing that." 
And it was that encouragement and enjoying that, that led me to consider going to drama school. I went to drama school. I was about 19, and I was there for two years, turned 21 while I was at drama school. So I turned 20 and then 21 when I was at drama school. Hmm. And then, yeah, then that was it. Uh, so, And even then, I was very uh, reluctant about the idea of it as a career. I just sort of thought, oh, well, this is an interesting world, and it's fun, and I'll just kind of do this, go along with that. But I couldn't really take myself seriously as an actor for a very long time. <laughs> oh, that's good. So you so you had a you had an encouraging base. That's great. Um so my next question is about Hollywood. So did you ever have Hollywood in your sights once you did become an actor? Was it like, oh I want to go over there? Or was it a surprise when you were No, not at all. Again again not at all. I'd been working uh, I was really committed to my career in theatre. Was really my my first sort of passion. And then uh, slowly Maturely, I started getting films like, and it was great because Jane Campion. I met her when I was doing some theatre in Wellington, and then I saw one of her first films, and then I was, uh, which was Angel at My Table, and Carrie from that was at drama school when I was at drama school. Right. So this was a very gradual sort of like, oh okay, film, and then from film, and Hollywood was never anything that I thought was really going to be a fit for me. Right. So. Um, I read in Tim's book that Tim was like, oh, Tim Morrison was, you know, hesitant. But Sam Neill told him, oh, just go, see what happens. So wh- how did you end up over there? Well, by then I'd done about four films before I ended up there. Three, no, you know, two or three or four films before I ended up in Hollywood. And it was like going on. No, actually, I did a television show, which they took me over there for pre-production and post-production. Those were my first paid flights to America. And then I was doing the publicity tour on uh, Desperate Remedies, which gave me my first limousine ride in Manhattan. Whoa, a limousine! <laughs> uh, yep, and then uh, it was pretty cool going down like uh, Broadway and with my head out the top of a stretched limousine all by myself. It was weird. <laughs> um, and uh, and I went to Cannes with Once Were Warriors. Yeah, and I, my, I, I was working on Hercules. Before it was a television series, they did a number of TV, TV movies, movies right. first. And uh, I did one with Anthony Quinn, and then that got me my first paid ticket to Hollywood. Awesome. Well, that was kind of that followed. Yeah, and so it was kind of weird, and I was like, ah, yeah, not really, not not sure if this is for me. I was always very sort of skeptical skeptical and reluctant to think that I, I had a place in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess that sort of covers my second question about Hollywood was like, uh, I just thought, did you have an interesting story about one of your first auditions about breaking in? Someone once told me a story, and I can't remember where I read it, uh, about you having some sort of interaction with Donald Sutherland in an audition. Oh, yeah, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, that was one of my, that was one of my really early, I think that was my first, um, first Hollywood movie was actually at Upanui, which we, well, the auditions were here in Auckland. Right. And um, I was like a featured extra in that. I don't even think I had a character name. Short, like short ears, right? Short ear, thirty-six. I can't remember. <laughs> you know, something, something random like that. And and that was my first Hollywood experience. My first movie experience was on the piano with Jane Campion. And then that that was kind of the spark when that happened. And then it went all the way to the Oscars. And I was like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> And it was Jane Campion, and I knew Jane, and you know, and seeing this, you know, just sort of think, wow, that's really weird. You know, we were very much like the black ground or the brown ground. You know, we were, the, you know, we were not the topic of the 
we were not the subject of the, we were not the subject matter of the movie. So, but I was there and I got to see the whole. And 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 what was great was that there was a such a beautiful artistry to the film. So, coming from theatre, I suppose I sort of thought I was really interested in the art of things. And so, the piano seemed to have a lot of like artistry about it. it was telling a really great story that was grounded and being from here, from our country, and it just just took off all the way around the world and went all over the Oscars. So that was my first film. Yeah. That, and that sort of changed my perception about being into theatre and being into film. And then the next big leap was going to Hollywood. So um, I did my first audition, uh, audition for Jane, to that film. That's not really a Hollywood movie. But uh, the, my first Hollywood actually, success, I did a bunch of auditions, but my first successful Hollywood audition when I was actually in Hollywood was for um, a movie with Gail Ann Hurd called... Oh, no, it wasn't. It was Six Days, Seven Nights with Tim. Tim. <laughs> nice. It was with Tim, yeah. And um, I can't even remember that audition, really. But uh, I, I credit Tim with that because I sort of paid... I, don't, I can't even remember if I had a character name in that movie. I was sort of like his sidekick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after that, and then I had another... Oh, no, no, that was... No, that, no actually, that one... No, God, no, the other one was, I forgot about uh, Deep Rising. That one was, I can't remember where I auditioned for that one. I can't remember, I can't remember that audition. I see, I completely forgot. I forgot that film, actually. <laughs> I don't know whether you've been whether you whether you saw any of the podcasts that we did. We, we actually had an episode dedicated to Deep Rising and your your character that I don't know. that seemed to want to have sex with uh, every woman from every country in the world. Uh, <laughs> see, I completely forgot about that. I can't even remember his name was Mamuli. Mamuli, yes, Mamuli, yes. Um, so yeah, was, no, but the, the audition that I remember is actually um, an audition for Gail and Heard. Um, and John Bruno was the director who worked with uh, James Cameron. Oh, right. John Bruno was the set and special effects. But he was the special effects designer and director for James Cameron. Right. On a, on like a bunch of his movies, he'd won Oscars. And his directorial debut was Virus with Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Sutherland, and Billy Baldwin. And Dallin Hurd was the producer. Right, right. So I remember auditioning for that because they wanted a character that was a little bit like Quee Quee from... Um, Moby, Moby Dick, Moby Dick. Yeah. and so yeah so I got a pen and I drew a muckle on my face <laughs> and went in and went in did my best impression of being a Maori in Hollywood <laughs> and yeah no, and I got got the part I don't know that I was very good but I was the only one there at the time I don't know where Tim was <laughs> I think Tim must have been busy doing his movie with Pamela, Pamela Anderson it. or something so I was the only one there and I was thinking there are so many bros back home would have like completely been so much better than me in that role <laughs> but um, but because I was the only one there I got the last so. <laughs> uh, was I was going to ask about that so that was my, my next question was actually about the movie Virus where a character is named Hiko and you speak Te Reo Māori in the film a little bit was that was that, Hiko, was that you? Hiko, Hiko, Hiko Did you do that or was that or was it already in the script oh, he's a he's a Māori character? No they wanted a, a Māori type sort of character but I got his, ch- his character name changed to Hiko, which was means lightning. Awesome. And in that movie, the aliens came down from outer space through, <laughs> through lightning. an electrical lightning storm. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's, so that's all you. That's great. Um, I, I remember that film because it was a film. I... No, and I wore a green swan dry. <laughs> I, I, I think I wore a green swan dry. I got that in and I had a patu. You had a patu. And I got, 
somebody in a tamical belt <laughs> and a muko on my face. And uh, <laughs> the only thing I didn't have was, was red bands. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. There were lots of action sequences where you had to run around the boat, so that would have not been the case. Right. Um, I, I remember it because when we were in high school, we got this film out. And because I used to, you know, I, being a filmmaker at high school and stuff, I was like, always excited whenever a new New Zealander was in something. So I remember getting that out and we were watching it going, oh shit, he's like a Maori. Like he's got a moko and he's got a patu. And you even like do a haka at one point at the end there, eh? Like, yeah, it's, it's all very cheesy, yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love that. I love that. But, so uh, I guess I'm just going to move away from Hollywood for a little bit. Although actually, um, this sort of leads into a question from my, my um, podcast co-host, Andrew James. He says, uh, there's recently been a lot of talk uh, in Hollywood about diversity representation. Um, and some positive steps. And he, and he says, uh, as an actor who in New Zealand is known for playing many different ethnicities, uh, could you talk about this movement in Hollywood? Have you seen it affect you in any any way? I've had, uh, you know, like most things, there's like a dual effect, a double effect on things. It's fantastic to see diversity growing, and it certainly has. Um, you know, when I was getting roles about 15 years ago, I was kind of like a brown actor, so I would get cast generically as like an Arab guy or a mm. Latino guy. And it was great for me because it gave me an opportunity. Um, but now there's more diversity and stuff and the, the title and that sort of stuff. But I also got the cast in the role of Fidel Castro, which never actually happened oh, right. because the, 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 I went, I, I'd been cast by the director, the producer and, my contract was in play, and then they set me up to meet the CEO of Showtime at the time, and he was like, going, and he was like really shocked that I wasn't actually Latin because I started talking to him in New Zealand accent, <laughs> and that lost me the job. He said, "I do not want Latino people like protesting outside but when they find out that you're not Latin." Which is, I guess, anyway, whatever. <laughs> but the point is that um, now I can't really do that because there's. There's many more great Latino actors mm. and there's many more great, um, you know, Middle Eastern actors have come up now since 15, 20 years ago when I started out. Mm. And so I, I can't really get away with it anymore, you know. But, you know, and the cat's out of the bag, I'm not a Latino and I'm not a Middle Eastern. <laughs> and so, and there's all of this other new talent has come up, you know, really great incredible talent so, that wasn't around 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a really interesting point. So would you would you not pursue those roles now? No, I don't. Okay. Okay. So, I don't. So, so nowadays, if you look like in, in uh, Fear the Walking Dead, I'm a Māori, mm. and uh, the next movie coming out, Meg, I'm a Māori, mm. and, um, you know, and sort of I'm playing Māori nowadays. And, and, and um, even if I'm... And then the couple of the TV shows I did were sort of, I can't remember what they're called. What was a helicopter? Tra- Trauma. And Missing. Missing. I'm just a generic American guy mm. whose ethnicity we don't know anything about. Right, right, right. And in my mind, I'm a Maori. Right, right. Which would make sense, I suppose. But it's, it's something that's never dealt with. It's just like, oh, he's a brown American. Right. But I can't really play a Latino or a Middle Eastern anymore like I could 50. So that's a sort of a, but, you know, but because of diversity is cool, it's like they accept me as a Māori now. It's pretty good. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out, but I'm not, I don't mind either. I mean, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, it's a great mindset to have, but it means we're never going to have a, as menacing a character as Smiley ever again, which is, man, I love that character in Training Day. <laughs> it's awesome. 
I don't know, I might, I might revive him in, in, in a musical comedy or something. <laughs> Smiley. Smiley. Um, Smiley, you got to laugh or you cry. <laughs> that's what I had tattooed. That's what I had tattooed on my chest. Smiley, you've got to laugh or you got to cry. It's awesome. Something like that. Laugh or, you, you, you know, something like that. <laughs> some, some Latino gang saying, <laughs> which is actually very similar to the saying out of Alan Duff's book. Um, once in a while, if he had that same year, I think. All oh, right. And, and you've mentioned, I'm going a little bit off my questions there, but you've mentioned in one of your interviews, I think on NZ on screen, that in the past you had been mistaken for the ethnicities you played. Does that still happen? Not so much anymore. It used to happen a lot, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it used to happen a lot. Uh, it used to really happen a lot, yeah. So uh, that sort of leads us into another question from Andrew. Um, out of the big parts and small parts, from drug dealers and uh, like bad guys and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, uh, to playing literally uh, the goodest of the good, Jesus. Uh, what's more fun and interesting to play, hero or villain? Do you have a preference? Uh, being, playing Jesus was kind of one of the creative highlights of my career. Like It's just like such a radical departure from anything I'd ever done and such a long distance from who I am. It's going to be a while before I master walking on water. <laughs> so it's like, you know... Uh, it's just like was just pretty much a, a peak experience for me, actually, and I just loved it. But playing villains and bad guys, there's, there's certainly a bit of like moustache twirling fun about it. But it, 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 it doesn't really compare to the Dark Horse or playing Jesus. I mean, those roles are, you know, they are, they are head and shoulders above any of the sort of really fun things that I've had mm. the privilege of playing, like playing, um, you know, a Mexican gangster. It's, like, it's kind of absurd. If you know me, that, that's actually really quite laughable. <laughs> but, um, you know, or, uh, or yeah, the thought of me being, uh, you know, um, some kind of extremist um, terrorist guy, it's like, well, yeah, don't think so. Not really. No. Uh, not much. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, it's like those characters are so far from who I am. It's, uh, it's kind of absurd. It's, I couldn't believe it when they started casting me in those shows. Like, really? <laughs> I was like, just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and even when, even when I'm doing it, and it's like getting seen and stuff like that, I can't look at the stuff. I just sort of think, I don't know how that got signed off, and I don't know how I got away with that. It's kind of just a bit crazy I th- how that works. I think the reason is because you're a good actor and you don't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Or you don't look like the action hero in, in that typical 80, 1990s, very bland Hollywood thing. So that's where I think it comes from. And I think whenever they see someone, that's a really good... Uh, yeah. Well, I suppose, I know I sort of found there for a good decade, I think when the casting directors, I've done the casting directors... Rounds and I think in my auditions, um, I, I I got to be really kind of inconsistent. Like I could be really good and I could be really not good, and I could, and you know, I wasn't one of those actors that would just consistently come in and just like I had a high hit rate. You know, I had a high success rate in terms of auditioning and stuff like that. Mm. But I wasn't like super super consistent. But that's just about managing your focus mm. and being organised and you know all that kind of stuff. Because it's difficult to be always on all of the time mm. without notice. So, um, but over a period of time, I think I gained a bit of. Uh, people started to know my work and started to know me, 
and I was kind of had a little niche and it was like like we've got this role and we don't really know how to cast it and Cliff's name come up and they were going yeah <laughs> okay that's interesting and so I kind of became in my mind the too hard bastard you know if you've got like if you're organizing your drawers and you have to take everything out of your drawers and you put things into little piles and baskets. <laughs> and then there's, there's a category of things that won't fit in any drawer in particular. <laughs> That's the too hard basket. And that, that kind of became my little niche. If there's like a weird role like Jesus, which is really a strange one to cast, like, who do you cast as Jesus? I was like, well, what about Cliff? Like, Oh, that could work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- well, we were we loved that because you know we, we in our episode of the podcast we discussed like how Jesus is always pretty much always a white guy. It's Willem Dafoe, or it's that guy Michael Powell, or is that guy from uh, the Searchers? I've forgotten his name. And it's never uh, someone that looks like they really belong in the Middle East. And I know you're Maori, but like at least you were brown. We were excited about that. No, but I really look like I belong in the Middle East. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of weird. Which is always good. In a Jewish way. <laughs> I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, it's interesting. I'm talking about, I, I've spoken to Jeff Murphy um, about his time in Hollywood. And he sort of, he didn't necessarily call himself the niche guy, but he did become, he called himself like uh, when they had a film that needed, they had a low budget, but they needed someone that could pull it off. They'd often call him in. So I was interested in, in when you were asked, when you were cast in, in Spooked, was that, was that something you were excited about to work with Jeff Murphy or cause... Are you kidding me, man? It's Jeff Murphy. <laughs> yeah, so that was the main like, the main draw card. I think like Utu was the first movie I remember paying with was paying for, for my with my own money. Amazing film. I think I was like fourteen. I don't know where I got the money from. Don't ask me. <laughs> but I you know, I was like Oh, I, I don't. I never went to the. I was a younger kid. I got to go to movies once in a while, but as a teenager, I hadn't seen a movie in years, and that was the movie. It was Utu, and it was Jeff Murphy. So, and then there's Quiet Earth, and there's Goodbye Pork Pie, and mm-hmm. it was like it's Jeff Murphy. I was like, dude, <laughs> and he was married to Meta to Mitter, who's like my other hero. He's like she's like the hero of mine. So, yeah, I was like, man, I definitely wanted to do it. Yeah, I thought I was wondering if that was. I, I think I, I think I think I made a mistake on that. Jeff wanted me to play the, the 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 title role, the lead role, and I wasn't sure about that character. And I thought, eh, I don't know if I like him. He seems really goofy. I'm interested in playing the journalist, and I think I should have listened to Jeff. It's a weird one because th- th- that was a problem. I should have taken the lead role. Well, which which character I, really is the lead? Really, in that film, it's a tough. When we watched it, we had a we had an issue with discovering who the, the lead character really was. We see your character more, much more than we see the other character. Right, well, I yeah, I can't really remember because I don't really watch my stuff that I do. I don't watch movies that I'm in, and I don't watch TV shows that I'm in. Right. So it's like I don't really have good men, a good sense of context. So I can't tell you how much I'm in the movie. Right, enough. right, right. But uh, I might have seen it once and never gone back, like maybe at the premiere when you're completely distracted. So, but um, but I was just interested in that character because I thought he was, there was something investigative about what he was doing and he was, it was a more challenging role in that he was trying to communicate to the audience and there were lots of different devices. Mm. And I thought it was a role that I was never, you know, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I, 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 Working with Jeff was like definitely something I wanted to do. 
as was working with Vincent Ward. I really wanted to work with Vincent Ward. Mm. You know, um, and then with Nikki Caro. You know, I love working with like um, New Zealand directors and James Baxter Robertson. Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know. And that, that's something we really we thought was. Where would, where would my career be really if I didn't work with Jane Campion, Lee Tamahori, Nikki Caro, James Napier Robertson, Jeff Murphy? You know, really. I mean, it would it would be my my career and my life would be a lot poorer if I had not worked with those directors. And I don't know that I would even have a Hollywood career if I didn't work with those directors. So. Uh, you know. It's great to hear because um, we really appreciate the fact that you, even when you were making movies the likes of Scorsese, you would return and make like a Jubilee or you'd return and make Spooked, you know, and that's really cool. Um, R- River Queen, you've talked about um, extensively um, on the NZ On Screen website and you described it as torturous. It's funny because it's a film that I think is beautiful and is full of great performance and is, and is almost the great New Zealand epic, but... Is a bit disjointed. I remember talking to Alan Bollinger, and he said that there were many pages that they never filmed. So I'm guessing that's why it felt disjointed. It's the almost part that was torture. Mm. I can work under like I worked under extreme circumstances on many, many, many movies. The heartbreak of that movie for me was simply that I went to visit Vincent Ward in LA when he was really at the peak of his potential in Hollywood, mm. and I said, Vincent. You've got to come home and make a movie. And he did that some years later, and he, he said that to me. It's like, well, you said it, I'm here. Whoa. And so we worked on that. And it was that almost part. It's like there was so much going for that film, and it was torturous that it, it, I kind of knew, I could feel it through production that it wasn't going to fulfill its promise. And was it? And that was, that's the torturous part. Was it anything... Was it only the fact that Vincent was removed or was there other aspects that were wrong as well? You'd have to sort of dissect how the film was constructed, how it was financed and how things were put together in a certain way to really understand the, 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 the structure of it. And it was built in such a way where Vincent was kind of, in a, in a way, kind of doomed to fail. Mm. Because he, as an artist, is uncompromising and relentless in the pursuit of his aesthetic, mm. or he should be, in a, in a sense. But, you know, it's a New Zealand low-budget film that can't contain that level of artistic ambition and integrity. Mm. And so it's like you've got these two things clashing, and he couldn't negotiate that. He couldn't figure that out. And, and it was just an impossible situation. That was really torturous. Mm. That was really, really tough. It's interesting because I remember at the time I saw it in the cinema and being quite disappointed. Upon a rewatch, I don't think it necessarily works as a story because it's a bit disjointed towards the end especially. But it's a lot – I like it a lot more than I did at the first. I, I was just wondering, have you had a have you had a chance to rewatch it and reevaluate? I don't watch any of my stuff. Right, so, right, right. No. Okay, so you don't do that. But it's the potential of what it could have been was the heartbreak. Mm, mm. It's not that it's that bad or that you know it wasn't that bad. It's like that was a lot of money. Anytime we take that amount of money and distance from New Zealand film, I want it to win for everybody. Mm. You know, I don't come back yeah. into New Zealand films on a win. I'm really committed to the idea that we need to, for the sake of culture, heritage, art, and commerce, that every time we invest in telling a story back home, 
but it really has to be the best that it can be. And it's kind of a really heartbreaking thing when something with that kind of potential, you know, you know, um, it's tough because he was trying to do something really, we were all, and this is the thing, it's not just about Vincent. No. It's about the art director. It's about the DOT. You know, he's like Alan Bollinger, one of our national treasures, mm. really, if you want to talk about the art and the craft of him. It's about him. It's about our producers. It's about our wardrobe, Barbara You know, if you took at the accumulative expertise and talent, you know, that was poured into that, these are people that are at the foundation of the Lord of the Rings that were working on that film as well. Yeah. You know, they're integral players in the Lord of the Rings. A lot of these people, crew that were there, they, you know, um, uh, deserve credit for establishing Peter Jackson as a, as, a, as, a, as a director as well. It's the same crews. These are the same people. Uh, you know, but the thing is that you you set up when you're trying to do something that ambitious, and there's a cap on how much you can spend that. Mm. And then, the, and then for whatever reason, you can't align with that reality and make it work within that cap. Mm. It's not gonna, it's gonna fail. Yeah. And that's a heartbreaking thing because we were trying to do something that was, I think, was more expensive than or as expensive as the piano. Right, right. I mean, and it, I mean, but, it is beautiful. But the ambition that that was in the work really needed probably another 10, 10, at least another 10 million dollars thrown at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but see, but Vincent always, if I look at, analyze like his films, he's always going to like push for more and more and more and more and sort of, you know, and then the, the production's going to get backed into a point where, you know, the resources are tapped out and then you're going to have to go and get more money to refinance and you're not going to get more money to refinance. And so then you have to cut back on scenes there in the script and all that kind of stuff. And then the script was was too ambitious for the money that was there in the play. And it's just the way it, the whole thing was engineered and structured. Mm. It's tragic and it's heartbreaking. Which I, think, you know? I mean, that's an, I think that's just an issue. With... It's, it's like burning money. <laughs> but... But, but it's it's crucial and it's an important part of the fabric of our storytelling that we need to learn those lessons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's just the way that New Zealand, the New Zealand uh, as film funding, funding agencies, is they, yeah. as directors, as writers, as producers. You know, it's like we all need to like you know look at every movie that gets made and think, what did we learn? Mm-hmm. How did we get that success? Was it just dumb luck? What did we do right? You know, you know, where did we fail? It was it wasn't that bad. The movie really is not that bad a film. And every not just because that's one thing, Vincent and everybody involved in that film are really good at what they do. Yeah, but it's like so it's never going to be a bad film. No, no, of course not. But it's that we didn't that we didn't fulfil on the promise of the film on the potential of the film. That's where the, that's where the torch comes in and the heartbreak. Yeah, I, I I thank you for sharing. That's a really that's a really good um insider's take on that movie, which is really good to hear. Um, so with the piano, we go back to the piano. You've talked about the black drop, <laughs> which I think is a correct term, and you're not you're not the focus. Uh, rewatching, I mean, I studied that film at, at university. Rewatching it um, outside of it and as a practitioner, it's it's it's. I have issues with it as because I'm a, a minority myself. I have an issue with the Maori representation in that film. Was that something that you thought of at the time, or was it just simply that you were? Of course, of course. I'm like standing up to my knees in mud carrying somebody's piano. <laughs> It's like this is a depiction of our people, you know, and, and you know, of course I'm, you know, of course I'm fully aware of it, but, you know, I'm also working with a great storyteller who's a true artist, mm. and, um, you know, it's my first film. I'm like, 
Cool, I'll carry the piano. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, you're, you're going to say something. Yeah, yeah. Can I get you a cup of tea? <laughs> Can I get you a cup of tea? You want, you want some biscuits with that piano? You know, like, you know, I'm starting now. It's all good. You know, it's all good. And what a beautiful film she made. It was, it was but, you beautiful. Know, but, you know, it burns, it burns into your, as an artist that does, it burns into your sort of soul, you know, into your psyche. It's like, okay, okay cool. First movie, done. Mm. Is this where we're going to stay? And I think that progressively from those first experiences from there through to acting and Monster Warriors and the Little Whale Rider, you know, and then my Hollywood fair being a Māori kind of simulation of Queen Craig from Māori, you know, and sort of, the, you know, or, or a pirate or like some mercenary memorial, you know, and you sort of think, wow, oh, okay, is that my life? Is that a representation of Māori and cinema, of Indigenous people on film? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, cool, producing's next. <laughs> I mean, you, you're trying to establish yourself for career, so you can't be questioning people left, front, centre, I mean. No, I can't at the time, no. but, it's, but you know, you, you, it's accumulated, and you're thinking your way through, it's like, okay, and then and even when I'm just managing to squeak through in Hollywood with my half-baked Iraqi accents and my, <laughs> my version of a Latino accent, which, you know, sells for the greater part. You know, but like I'm aware of like the shelf life of that, and it's like, well, I've got to push through all of that. You know, I'm ten years into the game at some certain point. I think, you know, the gas is going to run out on this gig if I don't sort of start diversifying or sort of breaking through some glass ceilings. Yeah, and 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 it's happened now, right? Now you have like the amazing role of um of like a um the dark horse, or or even in Hollywood where your characters are Maori on Fear the Walking Dead. You know, like it's sort of slowly happening where you can be an ethnic minority and it's not a big deal anymore, right? Yeah, totally. No, totally. That's totally. It's like not even a question. It's like, um, yeah. Which is, you know, and now they're like, you know, because if you look at the roles where I'm sort of playing a Maori, it's like, yeah, but you're an American, so you're going to have an American accent, so mm. you make or whatever. And like, no, it's good. We like the way you talk. Right. Which is great. It's good to talk like that. Now, I always had conversations. Those things were always banded about when I was working on earlier projects, so they're like, going, yeah, nah, go with American. You go with good American acting, it's good. But now it's like, going, no, just talk like you, we like that. Yeah, which is... Our version of you, whatever works for the character, but an approximation of how you talk, we're good, we're good with So that. are you allowed to... So you know, can, you talk, can you tell me whether you're a character in Meg as a Maori with a regular accent, or is that all secret? No, he's a Maori with an Australian accent. Oh, with an Australian accent. Oh, cool. Okay. Not on purpose. I just have a weird thing that happens to my voice when I'm like surrounded by people in my accent dreams. I don't know how, but I think it was because I was working with Jason Statham. And so somehow between the way I talk and doing things with Jason Statham, my accent turned out like Australian or something. <laughs> oh, no. And then I also had like Jason, I was surrounded by Jason Statham and um, Rose, what's her name? Rose? Um, oh, Ruby Rose. Ruby Rose. And then the other Australian, there's another. Two other was I had three Australians and Jason Statham um, around me, and so I was talking <laughs> Australian accent like a parrot. <laughs> That's fantastic. Your producing of of New Zealand talent is that something that you do uh, because you want to do it, or is it, is there a sense of uh, responsibility to give back to your community? I imagine it's a mixture of both. No, I well, I slightly touched on it when I was like saying. 
it was born out of a sense of dissatisfaction or the limitation of the roles that were available to me as an actor in the first 10 years of my career and how that affected my understanding or like what am I doing, you know, my sense of myself as an artist. And then it just really comes from wanting to tell really great stories. And the stories that really resonate to me that are truly unique, that are universal, that can travel and also satisfy um, my sense of identity and, you know, being from where we're from, are stories from home, you know. Mm. They, 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 we've got such beautiful, powerful stories. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I just, uh, I, I'm, and I think that the thing that's I've known for a long time is that my career as an actor, but even my approach to acting is not as a performer. Um, it's not as a celebrity. Um, it's more as, as an, as a storyteller. How I am, you know, there's different kinds of actors, and there's no one way to approach acting. Um, you know, for some people it's a form of psychotherapy, for some people it's a form of, you know, making money and celebrity, you know, an access point into celebrity. You know, there's lots of different pathways through acting. Mm. For me, the thing that most energizes me and engages me is the storytelling. Right. So it's a very natural progression for me to go from being an actor and to producing where I get to curate stories and then craft them. Right. You, you're not beholden. And nurture them and nurture them and then, and then produce them and then present them and, as opposed to, you know, being an actor looking for a gig. Yeah, yeah. And you can help uh, nurture local talent. Yeah, absolutely. And grow that out. Yeah, no, no, working, you know, with Tyka and Ainsley, you know, you know, that's a bit of a fluke there, like, you know, my first producing efforts being with Tyka. But, you know, that was because I was at Sundance and I saw a short film on Two Cars, One Night. Mm. And I went, damn, <laughs> this guy's got the goods. <laughs> He's good for the long haul, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then his producer, Ainsley, was my cousin. Always good. So I was like, all right. <laughs> With and who's calling right now? James Rolleston. <laughs> okay. I guess I guess that might be the end of my interview with you. No, yeah. I'm writing this. I'm writing, attempting writing or co-writing my first uh, script effort for something that I want James Rolleston to, to, to star in. So, oh, great. Yeah. Oh, we've got an exclusive. You're writing a script. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a fun one. It's, yeah, anyway. Yeah, we'll talk about it another time. Okay. That's, thank you very much for, uh, for agreeing to talk to our, our little podcast. This is awesome. Thanks very much, Cliff. I really appreciate that. You're right. And that was it. There we go. That was my interview with Cliff. Questions from Andy, too. With Cliff Curtis. I still can't believe it. That's amazing. amazing. I was not too sure whether I should be calling him Mr. Cliff or Sir. But he's a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the right honourable Sir Cliff Curtis. <laughs> yeah. How's I he do. not a Sir? What? <laughs> He's got to be a New Zealand Order of Merit or something, surely. Surely, surely, surely yeah. But uh, but you know, um, we asked, I asked a couple of your questions. Sorry, I couldn't get to like. I think we covered all your questions actually. But yeah, it was uh, a it was a great conversation. Um, really interesting. <laughs> He's got an Aussie accent in Meg, which is a film I'm really looking forward to because who doesn't like giant shark movies? Um, with Jason Statham, filmed in New Zealand with Cliff Curtis. Yeah. It's, it's, got it's all a particular the, niche. It's, but, got all, I mean, it's all the things I want in a movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
But also, uh, the fact that he's not going for those uh, sort of Hispanic roles in Hollywood. He's yeah. Been, he's, like, made that job. That, that's, that's really interesting, and that um, sort of shows you how things are slowly, slowly, starting to change around yeah. sort of uh, this kind of stuff in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean... It, very it's, slowly. It's very slow, but it's happening. I mean, I mean... the. That was, I mean, it's it's great. It's great to hear from Cliff, but also it means that we're not going to have a character like Smiley from Cliff anymore, who has an amazing well, turn in in, um, in in Three Kings. But I guess that's just the way it goes. He right? could just he could just be playing those uh, same characters just as Maoris <laughs> that happen to be in Iraq, Iraq or LA Gangs. Yeah, why not? Uh, but no, and so a uh, uh, really interesting conversation. So. Uh, I appreciate so much that he, he made time for us. Yeah, it was really um, great. Thank you, Cliff, yeah. for being so accommodating. If you were listening to thank this. Thank you, Cliff, and, and <laughs> thank you, everyone who helped make it happen. And thank you guys all for listening. Yeah, thanks and also, for listening. And also, thank you to all of our guests that have appeared this season. We've had quite a number. Oh, yeah, so a really, a, really, a really good one to go out on. Yeah, really, a really good one to go out on. I, I mean, we couldn't, I mean, he's the subject of our our podcast so that's that was amazing <laughs> um so that really is the end of season three now <laughs> it's, it's, it. it's done it's done, done. No, more. no more season three that's the end of season three uh we will be back with the season four we're still we're still sussing it out in the meantime if you want to if you want to get in contact andy where they can where can they find you they, they find, can find you. me oh geez that's terrifying um they can find me on the twitter or the instagram or the uh, the letterbox. I was going to say LinkedIn, but that's wrong. <laughs> the LinkedIn. At Andy James underscore Inc. with a K. I think you've threatened people with your business profile in the past. <laughs> I don't, I don't even it. have LinkedIn. <laughs> you don't even have LinkedIn. I've got LinkedIn. No. Uh, you can find me on the Twitter <laughs> at Rajeevfilm, R-A-J-E-E-V-F-I-L-M. You can find me on the letterbox as that as well, R-A-J-E-V-F-I-L-M. And you can find me on LinkedIn as R-A-J-J-M. R-A-J-E-E-V-J-M. That's, uh, that's yeah, my LinkedIn right. You've profile. got LinkedIn. Fine, fine, fine. Shut up. You're cooler than me. I know. <laughs> so cool to have LinkedIn. It's the best. Yeah, okay. Man. Well, let the people go. They've listened to us talk for long enough. Thank you all again, and we shall talk to you all soon. See you. Bye.